Did you shut off the fan and the air cleaner, Rod? Yes. <laughs> yes, I absolutely oh, did. This time I decided we better give Elliot, our sound editor, a break. <laughs> Although I have to say he's really good at taking out those background fan noises. I just kind of hate that we've been doing it to him lately. Oh, I know. Good. Because I don't want to send another podcast where I have to tell him we accidentally left the fan on again. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's been really hot here. Yeah. everyone and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice i'm rod jones and i'm angie jones welcome to the thought row podcast we invite you to subscribe wherever you listen and we are available virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts yes and no matter what you do creatively this is the podcast for you okay angie what are we going to be discussing today well, today we're going to be speaking with Ayelet Amrani Navan, an abstract artist. You know, I've been following Ayelet for a few years on Instagram where she posts her art. And, I, you know, I really have to say I really like this artist. I think she's too. very creative, very innovative, and she's also has a lot to say. So this is going to be a good interview, I believe. But... Let's hear this week's quote from you. Okay, so this week's quote is, Creativity comes from conflict of ideas. And that is by Donatella Versace. Conflict of ideas. That's kind of an interesting thing to say. Obviously, she's had some experience in that. But I kind of like to think that sometimes if you have an unsettled mind, mm -hmm. It makes you use other parts of your brain they may not typically be using. And interestingly enough, some pretty creative information starts popping into your head when you are in a state of maybe a little bit of conflict. I think that's a pretty profound uh, quote. It's a short one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's so short that you just go, oh, well, I don't know. It's, But it's so meaningful and it is so true. Without conflict, you're never going to grow in your life. That's what spurs you to go on to the next level because you need to. You don't have a choice. <laughs> no, and, and everybody experienced conflict in their life. I mean, right now oh, yeah. the whole world is kind of experiencing it, yeah. and, and we all deal with it in different ways. But if you can turn those situations into something positive, then ultimately you will become a much happier and probably a much better person. So true. So now it's your turn, Rod. We are ready for Rod's motivational moments. Well, here we go. <laughs> this is what I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. You might want to look at the closed doors in your life as opportunities to move on to a better path. How? That is so true. So true. Well, I think the thing that we've all experienced, everybody's experienced when, you know, one door shuts behind you, another one opens, and mm -hmm. usually they're much better doors. We look back at maybe in our lives where we lost a job and we do, oh no, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden you end up with a much better job, a much happier relationship, whatever. And you go, guy, I'm so thankful that that door closed on me. I know at the time it doesn't look like such a positive thing and it can be downright very 
very uncomfortable. But most people, when they look back over their lives, they go, boy, I'm so glad that changed in my life. I'm so glad I discovered the real me or a different way Mm -hmm. of looking at my life. Uh, And maybe the people that you hang around, maybe you left one group of people that wasn't very productive for you or they were very negative and then you all of a sudden you start hanging around people that are very positive mm-hmm. uh, and that just brings a much happier life I think. Right and, and it lets you progress on as a human and also the other people person uh, maybe their path is also going a different direction. That's so a it's, good point. Yeah so it's kind of like you you make appearances in each other's lives to evolve to the next level or the next phase in your life. So you can't always just, I guess, stay the same, even though it's hard sometimes to do that. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point because maybe if you left a job and and that position opened up for somebody who really needed it or it was really important to them, but you had the opportunity to grow. I guess our thinking here is embrace change, right? Absolutely. Embrace change is uncomfortable and as it can be scary and scary and weird as it is sometimes because sometimes you don't expect it and you're like, well, okay, I, why, why (laughs) am I going through this again? The big, big why. Right. But that reminds me of what does reinventing oneself really mean? Well, you know, it's become a bit of a cliche these days. Yeah, it is. Um, But if you talk to people that have achieved great accomplishments, and there are plenty, uh, they really have reinvented themselves. You know, when when you say that, it instantly reminds me of Madonna because she has reinvented herself so many times. And I understand in, in the industry you have to stay relevant, but I feel like for her... It's more of a a challenge because she wants to evolve artistically and musically and probably she's changing as a person. So it's kind of neat that she is, you know, moving along and taking those contrasts and those challenges and and really rolling with it and really making something positive out of it. That's an interesting that you should pick her because I, I think of her as the iterations, if you will, the changes or staying contemporary, but she also has managed to stay contemporary with an audience that started out with her that is actually getting older. True, true. I mean, yeah, and the, but she's still attracting the younger crowd, which is really yeah, she's cool. attracting the younger yeah. crowd, and she's also keeping her audience that had started with her. They're still liking her, right? The quote old crowd, but really, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> the old old crowd, all of what, yeah, thirty, forty years old, whatever. right, right, right. Um, that, that's you know, I think that that was a good example yeah. of reinventing. And people in business reinvent themselves; they reinvent their companies, they reinvent their products, and it's all part of growing. And the whole thing is, if you're not growing. You're standing still. And if you're not standing still, you're definitely moving backwards. So it's kind of important that that we all keep growing, learning, mm-hmm. uh, which will help us achieve great successes that uh, is in within all of us, I think. So true. I know this is going to sound a little random, though. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all live in different parts of the world and in different cultures? And the reason why I bring that up is I th- I. I'm thinking about reinventing, but sometimes reinventing means you move to a whole new location and 
you can literally reinvent yourself, your life, everything. And I know we've known people that have done that. We've had guests. We've had actual guests that have left one country and completely relocated to another country and not necessarily one next door. I mean, these have been journeys of... Different culture. Uh, different cultures. And language. And, yeah, language. And they didn't really know how to speak the language. But uh, they've reported back to us how they think that was the best thing that ever happened yeah. in their lives. And they're so excited and so filled with energy. And these people are creative people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's impacted their creativity. They're certainly the first ones because they're seeing things that they don't typically see in their own backyard, if you will. And it's refreshing for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe a bit of a challenge at first, but I hear the excitement in their voice. True. And there's a really cool satisfaction and love that emanates from people that just kind of take the bull by the horns and say, I'm going to reinvent myself and I'm going to do this. And I love the satisfaction feeling that you get from this person. They feel so grounded and happy. Yeah, and I ha- I want to mention this. It's not the people that we all remember a long time ago that got a backpack and backpacked all over Europe. These are well-established people that were very successful. Well, yeah, they're grown-ups. Yeah, not, they're grown-ups and well-established yeah. in their businesses and uh, careers in life. And then all of a sudden they decided, you know, it's time for a major change. And they did, and they all seem to be happy. Mm -hmm. True on that. But, you know, as much as like we've liked to travel or other people like to travel, I'm sure that, you know, when you always come back home, it always feels so good after all the travel adventures. I really like coming back. It's also kind of a time to... um, what degauss to let yeah. the uh, let all that you learned saw uh, ate felt <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all the things you experienced everything and then you get to come home and you get to reminisce and if you took some pictures you can look at your pictures and say oh here I am at the top of the Eiffel Tower yeah <laughs> yeah all of those ones a gazillion other people have photographed themselves so you're in good company I guess well the best part is crawling into your own bed. In your own little sweet spot that you have, and you sleep like a log. Yes, and my sweet spot is pretty pronounced. It's pretty sweet, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's help out today's guest. It's someone that we both wanted to have on this podcast for oh, quite yes. some time. In fact, we had talked to her uh, on a few occasions uh, to make all this come together. But Yeah, we had to, to wait a little while. But, you know, we've had the opportunity to speak with creative people from all over the world, and they have been so candid and open about their lives and experiences, and I'm really excited to talk to Ayala today. Ayelet, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. Both Inji and I are really excited to have you as a guest. We've been wanting to have you for a guest for quite some time now. Yes, we have. Hi, Ayelet. I agree with Rod. I know our listeners are going to find your life and your creative journey to be inspirational and fascinating. Well, thank you. I'm really, really um, glad to be with you. Thank you very much for your um, platform. I've been following the podcast for a while and... um, it's just so generous and um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's, an, it's a nice, comfortable place to be. So thank you. Well, thank oh, you're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Now we know where our one mm-hmm. listener is yeah, coming from. Yeah, our one listener. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ayelet, we've known each other through social media for several years. And True. I knew once we, Angie and I started this podcast, mm-hmm. we'd want to have you as a guest. And I must let everyone know that Ayelet lives in Israel, and we've had to reschedule this interview a few times because of the turmoil that seems, unfortunately, to be pervasive in many parts of the world. Yes, true. Well, what to say? I guess war and peace and turmoil are part of the human condition. I think we're probably, and most of your listeners are probably very fortunate to be living lives in times of mostly peace. Uh, So just, you know, shouldn't be taken for granted. I'm sure we're just, we're just fortunate to be here now. And and the fact that there is a pervasive turmoil, yes, I don't think that's anything new. It will probably be part of life um, always, just like creation and destruction are part of the um, creative process. So, so yes, yes. And, and, And artists, creative people should, should see things as they are, I guess. And turmoil is, is part of that part of life. But here we are. We made it. So yep. I'm yes. very happy. Yeah, so are we. We can do this today. Yeah, things are a little calmer now. Well, right. on a lighter note right now. Well, since we're talking about today, before we officially start our interview, we always ask our guests, Ayelet, uh, what they had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast this morning? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> Several I was hours fearing, ago. Uh, yes, a while ago. I was fearing the question because I'm going to be very truthful. I don't know if this is the answer you want, but um, when I, this was a studio day today. And when I work in the studio, a nutritious breakfast isn't usually part of what I do. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't, on a really full stomach, I feel uh, less inclined. I, I like it when I'm a little bit edgy when I get into the studio. So maybe a banana or a little bit of um, olive oil or olives in a glass of water, definitely. But mostly it's black coffee, straight. It's, no real, yeah. It's the artist the diet, I think. The artist diet from beginning, from the beginning of time. Yeah, that goes back uh, centuries, yes. practically. <laughs> Is that true? I don't think Michael, yeah, I don't That's think Michael The coffee black and straight. Yeah, Michelangelo yeah. started yeah. his day with a cup of coffee. I know Lee Krasner and Jackson Pollock, that's all you ever see them with a cigarette and a coffee. And that's, there you go. That's if you're too comfortable, then what are you going to, you know, it's a little harder to create. Plus it was yeah. something they could afford at the time. <laughs> Probably. Okay. That's true. <laughs> true. Maybe that's true. True. So black coffee. Yeah. Both Angie and I know you've been living uh, a very artistic yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your early days or the, as you were growing up in the U.S., I believe, and then how you ended up in Israel. Do you want to hear a little bit of the childhood background? Is Absolutely. That okay? yes, Absolutely. Definitely. Well, I was born to an American mother from Philadelphia, and uh, she was on her way to the Peace Corps in Africa when she met my father in New York, actually, on New Year's Eve. And he is an Isra- or was an Israeli folk singer of mm. Yemenite descent. Oh. So, yes. So, uh, and she always, you know, she, she always drew and painted and she eventually became an art therapist. But what I'm saying is that I had, uh, they met each other and instead of the Peace Corps, she came to Israel to the Middle East with him. And we had a house full of music and art. 
uh, with artists coming and going. So Spanish guitars mixed with Simon and Garfunkel and then drums from the desert of the Arabian Peninsula. And that's the way I grew up. It was a very bohemian environment and full of art. And it, an artistic creative life was just a very natural thing. Later on, as a, as a child, actually, I spent most of my summers in the U.S. and then the school year in Israel. So I had a lot of experience uh, saying goodbye, saying hello and saying goodbye and saying hello and saying goodbye. That was sure. a part mm -hmm. of yeah. the way I was formed. Yeah, so, so it, it was, a, I guess it was a, a, a good thing in a way to grow up uh, with, with many different points of view and languages. But on the other hand, saying goodbye was a very strong emotional part of my childhood. And then when I finally uh, got a little older and living here in Israel, I went to, believe it or not, law school. My choice was law school. And I think it was a bit of a, um, like the opposite of the way my household was and an opposite of the way uh, my parents chose Certainly to Certainly more structured. Oh, yeah. Very structured, very verbal. So, so yes. And I, and I still think that young women should be able to stand on their own two feet, you know, you know, for, you know financially. And there, I guess there was something that was very important for me to be able to stand on my own two feet and, and go. So I, I did go into law. See, that's so interesting, Ilet, because it, you lived a kind of a free lifestyle as a child with people coming mm -hmm. and going and having the freedom to do whatever. It's really funny that when you, I, I mean, not haha -ha funny, but interesting funny that you, instead of rebelling and getting more, you know, loose and wild, you got more structured. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Did your mother or, or other people that you were hanging around, you know, people that were yeah. playing instruments, whatever, did they all encourage you to become an artist or pursue the artistic side of yourself? I can tell you that I really felt, I always did feel very free to make my own choices. So I don't think that anybody tried to affect me one way or another. I don't think anybody put the pressure on me. Mm -hmm. It was my own choice and I was encouraged, you know, to do whatever I wanted to do. So in that, in that way, I, I really was free. That was my own choice. Well, you were exposed to, you were exposed to a lot. Yeah, I mean, you were. I, I don't know too many children that were exposed to or being immersed in that free thinking about creativity. Mm. It's true. But actually, you know, hmm. Yeah, but you see, if you look, if you look at, at the whole life story, which isn't over yet, you, I, think, I think that would be the interesting perspective to take because eventually I did find my, my way back into art. And again, of, of my own choice when the time was right. But before, before I made, and, I, and I'll just tell you how that happened, I worked in law very hardcore. I mean, I started in Israel, I graduated, I worked, and then at some point I packed up a suitcase and I went all by myself to New York, to Manhattan. I felt like if I really wanted to do it very well and seriously, that's the where, that's the place I, I, I needed to go. So um, it was a little scary, but I did it. Eventually, working for a very big global law firm, a Wall Street firm, I did mergers, acquisitions, IPOs. I, I was licensed to practice in New York. I later moved to California to work in the tech industry. I was, I was licensed to practice in California. So it was a very intense journey. It was a very, very intense journey. I can't tell you that I did it lightly. Eventually, when I came back to Israel and I got married and built a family, at some point, all of a sudden, the itch started. Maybe the urgency was over and the itch started. And I said, I can't do that when I want to take a well, proper drawing class. Well, you achieved mm. so much yeah, as did. an attorney. I mean, especially being uh, having a law license in those various states. Even that's not an easy task. 
And then mergers and acquisitions is that puts you in contact with a, a lot of people, high level people, mm-hmm. uh, C level people, etc. That's pretty interesting. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, creative, high level, and creative, you know, could be in in any area that you choose, any any path you choose, you can decide to be creative, and you can try to push yourself to the best of your abilities, whether you're making puppets or, you know, taking photographs or painting or uh, being being a trial lawyer, which I wasn't, by the way. I, I didn't spend much time in court. I guess I never really liked the combative side yeah, of being very, a lawyer. Yes, it very is. combative. Oh, gosh. Very combative. By definition, by the way, you're going out um, to war. You're representing your clients and, 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 and it's combat. So where was I in the story? So, no, so yeah, the, the itch came yeah, back. Yeah, mm. the, your transition going from attorney and moving more towards the direction of becoming an artist. Sure. Look, I always drew. I always held, a, you know, a pencil or a piece of charcoal in my hand. When I was in California, I took some courses in Berkeley. I, I, I just always felt like, but I didn't have much time and most of my energy and my, my, my um, time were devoted to the law. I came back here at some point, the itch started. And I said, no, I, you know, I, I can't, I, it's not, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I don't want to be doing the law anymore. It was, time was up. It was time for me to go back to um, art, I guess. So mm-hmm. I just went to art school. See, that's Here in really Israel, nice. four years of it. Yeah. That's really nice yeah. that you're transitioning and, and how you reinvent yourself, which seems to be something that you did so gracefully. <laughs> Thank you. How, how can you do that? You're welcome. How can you do that? Because it's such an extreme of, you know, being a lawyer, which is very, you know, to me, I feel like I know it's creative in one sense, but in another way, you have to be very logical and demanding of your time. And then the switch, you know, how, how, how could you transition so gracefully like that? Well, first of all, thank you. I I can't, I wouldn't say myself whether the transition was graceful or not, but I, I do like the thought of something being graceful. I think when something's done gracefully, it's probably being done right. But I guess it was just time. It was natural. I was coming back to something that was familiar and it was a part of me all along. Mm-hmm. And we have so many different, um, you know, parts of ourselves and things we might develop if we had the opportunity, the inclination, when the time is right, when we meet the right person, when you see what yeah. I'm saying. So, yeah. so I guess the time was right. Well, I did it. Life happens and it's... Uh Life happens. Yeah, and it's very important. You probably learned that when you were living the bohemian life. Um, But it's very important for people, I think, anyway, to to listen to that still small voice inside. And if you listen to it very carefully, it tells you when one door is closing and another one's opening, if you just pay attention, because obviously it was time for you to move on from law. And a lot of people would be afraid to do it. So they they true. just would be Gosh. so, they'd go, oh man, I've been, I, I worked so hard. Yeah. I put, I went to school. I got all this education. And I'm successful at it. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to leave that, close that door and move into being an artist. That uh, we can, Congratulations on that one. Thank you very much. And I think you're absolutely right that if you listen carefully, you definitely can hear doors closing and opening. And they do and they will and even late in life. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to turn your whole life um, upside down or say goodbye to one thing. You can make space for a creative um, pursuit, even if you keep your day job. So, but, but definitely uh, doing something creative can keep you alive and um, young and happy. And you meet other people who are creative that way. So it's also a very interpersonal thing to do. 
I think it's very important to continue to let those doors open in your life, no matter what, what stage and what point you are in your life. Well, interesting thing. Some of those doors slam us on our rear end as we're leaving. It's so true. Oh, gosh. <laughs> time for you to move on, man. Yeah, you're done here. <laughs> you know, it's I, I, I want to ask, I, when we were exploring your life as an artist, when we had our original conversations, and I want to get too political here, but during those mm-hmm. conversations and we were trying to figure out how to craft the show uh, and how to, how our interview and how we were going to talk to you, um, you're... You're talking to us from your bomb shelter, and I don't yeah. think there's too many people, certainly in mm-hmm. America, that have that uh, to deal with. Can you can you tell us uh, how that that's a challenge for anybody? How that challenge has impacted your creativity? How it's impacted? Well, definitely, it's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. When a bomb shelter is something that's a natural part of your life, when you do have memories throughout your life in different stages of, um, you know, rockets falling, or it, it becomes part of who you are. Um, I don't literally address things like this in my art, but I am sure that indirectly uh, by becoming part of, you know, who I am, um, that it has affected has affected me in my work. I think that being aware of how fragile um, peace can be and how fragile life can be, you can um, feel more, um, maybe, maybe, look, artists should be able to see things as they are, right? The truth. They want to be able to have as little as possible in ways of... um, you know, curtains before their eyes or, um, you know, being able to see life as it is allows your art to be maybe more interesting and diverse and true. And there's many, many different aspects of life that um, we can be exposed to. The issue of, 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 of danger, of knowing that, you know, you grow up in an environment where there are, um, you know, Possibly your children may be hurt. The children of your enemy are getting hurt. These are things that when they become part of you, um, maybe you do become more sensitive and more compassionate and, and, and you, you, can, you can address um, things that could be. I, I, maybe I'll just give one example. And this is not direct. Again, I don't literally draw uh, paintings. I don't paint paintings of war and peace. But no, you don't. In the your, last, your, yeah, your art yeah. is so, uh, very... Uh, very sensitive. far from that, right? Yeah, very sensitive. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but go on. I don't want to go where I'm going to I was just thinking, and actually I'm thinking as we talk, in the past year or so since the pandemic broke out and also since, uh, you know, there was a little um, unrest, I have been obsessively drawing um, my swans in motion. There is a lot of um, migration and movement and clusters of swans moving. And I think a lot of it has to do with the feeling that things aren't permanent and they're constantly migrating and they're constantly moving and nothing should be taken for granted. And I think that is a way that um, a bomb shelter can indirectly manifest itself. So it's not literal, but definitely this 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 deep, deep feeling that nothing can be taken for granted and, and, and people, everything is in motion. So, so. Um, well, it gives you a sense of security, but you don't really want to be there. What does? The uh, being in the bomb shelter gives you a sense of security for a brief moment, but you really want to be out. You want to be free like your swans. 
Absolutely, you don't want to be in the bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. But understanding that there is that there is a bomb shelter situation, and when you're outside of it, then you feel the freedom very distinctly. And that's right? what the sm- that, that's what that's I what mean. That's what the swans are doing. Mm-hmm. That's what the swans have been doing now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. You should say, or maybe ask me in three years. I'm just, you know, they're just coming out now and moving and well, flying I across think, the I campus. Think your, your answer was really quite revealing, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was. Yeah, and I really appreciate the sensitivity. I'm sure everyone can that you have about dealing with such a stressful and and trying thing to deal with. I can't imagine having to deal with that on a daily basis. But also the fact that you're not in denial about it and and channeling it into something that's a positive into your paintings, into such a beautifully um, sensitive and, like I said, graceful. There's a very huge gracefulness about your paintings that I think once people, you know, can, can view them, they will really appreciate it. Thank you, Angie. You're welcome. As I said before, I love the word graceful, and I think uh, when things are graceful, they're being done right. And um, I, I love I love that word when when it's attributed to my art. So thank you. Well, there's a huge amount of gracefulness there, and um, it just it, you can see it like immediately. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. You know, I I wanted to ask you. I know that's a little. Uh, off the topic of we were talking about, but you have such a unique name for your website. Can you <laughs> now? I've, I'm wondering how did you come up with that? Which took me quite a while to figure out how to even pronounce it, yeah. even though it's not that difficult uh, to difficult. pronounce. But you I, mean dough smart? Yes, yes, we knew it. We knew it had some yeah. deep meaning, and we wanted to know. <laughs> deep me. It's a it's a secret code, really. When I started, actually, when I got on Instagram, I was playing around. I wanted to. Um, so, in, in in the spirit of playfulness, I uh, I called it dough smart. But dough smart, if you if you uh, are making me reveal the secret code here. Yes. Um, actually, yeah, yeah. It's divided into two words, doe and smart. Doe is a female deer. And my name in Hebrew, Ayelet, means female deer. So I, my my name actually okay. in code is doe. So pretty. And then smart is for the Hebrew word navon, which is um, means wise, smart. So actually, doe smart is my name. And the word hides the word art inside of it. So I just put the code name together and that's what it is. <laughs> so brilliant. I yeah, love it. There I you love go. it. Well, it's okay. unique enough. A, it makes you want to it makes you want to I explore know, what right? it means. And now, uh, well, it's and a now very we unique know. question. Yeah. Not everybody asks the question. Okay. <laughs> and now we know. <laughs> now we know. Yeah, now we know. And now, now we know. know we can call you dear. It's true. Wise deer. Wise deer. Wise deer. Wise deer. That's beautiful. If I was an Indian chief, I'd be wise deer. <laughs> you would. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always been fascinated by your paintings, both Iggy and I have yeah. been. And I noticed that you featured the theme of swans, and you kind of mentioned it briefly, yeah, a but could bit. you tell us a little bit more about that? I love the swans, uh, by the way. I love what you do Thank with you swans. very much, mm-hmm. Rod. Thank you, Rod. Thank you. Uh, swans have been evolving for years now. So it's um, it's it's something that's actually being formed. And ha- every time I, I, I make I make something new. But um, I think swans, looking back, are really a dichotomy to me. And over time, they've become a bit of an alter ego. Um, so swans, uh, well, I, I see myself as being 
my personality as being a little bit of a dichotomy, but the swan, besides being so um, powerful in shape um, and graceful, uh, it, it, it's it's the black swan and the white swan. To me, it's also the, the gentleness and the aggressiveness. So a swan can be so gentle and graceful, but is also a very aggressive animal and manages to hold two of those things um, inside one creature. So it's the black and the white, gentleness and the aggressiveness, the male and the female. See, I've been I've been um, creating swans in three dimensions and to, and in paintings for many years. And the fluffy part of the body, the the, the feathers, the, the the beautiful fluff and puff, is very feminine to me. If you think of Swan Lake mm-hmm. and you think of ballerinas, on the other hand, the neck is an enormous, very very strong muscle. I mean, you see a swan in flight; it's straight as an arrow. It's very very phallic. It's very very um, male. So the form of the swan it holds the male and the female inside of it so beautifully and seamlessly, which is also a very powerful um, image and concept uh, to me. Um, the swan is also mute. There's there's a swan called a mute swan. Many of the swans uh, make sounds by actually flapping their wings and having specific little pipes inside of their wings. So the main sound they make isn't even coming out of their mouth. Oh, really? Like oh, an I artist. Didn't know that. Wow. Yes, yes. Why do you think a mute swan is called a mute? And by the way, in many fairy tales, a swan is related to the curse of muteness. So so it's it's in our culture too, but the, the beauty of it for an art, the symbolism of it for an artist is the fact that the artist has a voice, but not through the mouth. So there's the voice that comes through the hands and, and making art, making images, which is not a verbal voice. So to me, another dichotomy that, that has to do with me personally is the fact that I can be very verbal, but I can also be nonverbal. And I'm, and I'm trying more and more now to work on being um, also, also, you know, elaborating on being nonverbal. Also the black and the white, by the way. I see myself as being a little bit black and a little bit white. Um, you know, the American-Israeli background, popping back and forth, having a father who is very, very dark-skinned, black hair, black eyes, coming from, you know, origins from the Arabian and Peninsula, and my mother, who is American, with white, milk-white skin and, you know, yellow hair. And I'm somewhere in the middle on the brown spectrum. So I do see myself, as, you know, on, on some levels holding inside of myself these dichotomies in, in many ways, the swan... Uh, how beautifully stated for, for me. Yeah, how yeah. beautifully stated. I know Angie is going to ask you a question yeah. about the black and white. Yeah, and it, we noticed okay. that you paint primarily in black and white. Um, a lot of monochromatic, yes. Very monochromatic, which is, uh, it, it makes such a statement in itself. And mm-hmm. so are, you're motivated by the fact that your um, upbringing has had, you know, such extremes of the black and white that you could see. I think at one point too, uh, Yalette, you mentioned piano keys. Absolutely. Well, I, first of all, thank you for these questions. I see you've been very thorough looking through my oeuvre and uh, looking through the work and the older work too. It's it, it, My first solo exhibition was called Piano Lesson. And I and I, um, I literally bought some old pianos that were destined to be wrecked and ruined. And I brought them into the studio and I took them apart. And um, uh, first of all, I must say, pianos are beautiful in form inside and outside. If you open them out and take out their guts, there's not one piece of the piano that isn't perfectly formed and also formed for a purpose. So this is not a sculpture formed for pure beauty. It's formed for a purpose of making sound. So as an object to an artist, it's a very, very fascinating 
object. The other thing on the personal note is that when I was going back and forth between Israel and America, and Israel in those years was a much more modest country where houses were much smaller and rooms were much smaller and a grand piano couldn't even fit in our living room if we tried. <laughs> but when I, came to a, <laughs> when I came to America in the summer and spent time with my middle-class grandparents, who had, you know, a middle-class house in Philadelphia. To me, their living room was like a football field. And way at the end of the football field was this gigantic, beautiful thing, which was a grand piano that nobody ever played, by the way. But it was kept there as a matter of, I don't know, I don't even know what, but I grew up under that piano. And as a little child, I, I, I you know, I brought my toys under the piano. I stored my secrets inside the seat, which opened and closed like a treasure chest. And I used to plink away at the black and white keys playing, you know, chopsticks or some very simple tunes. But to me, it was more of a location, a visual place and a symbol of the American side of me, of the Western side of me, something I never saw in Israel, something that couldn't be part of my Israeli um, identity, but definitely very, very emotionally connected to my childhood and to my identity. And the beauty of the piano is that it's another dichotomy, the black and the white keys that play so beautifully together um, are very much, I, 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 can, I, I can identify with that uh, as an idea and, and, and as something visual. So, um, so yes, that's the piano. That's the black and the white. And um, well, I think this, I think a lot of us can relate to the fact that pianos uh, occupy a lot of space in a home. Mm-hmm. And there are <laughs> a lot of places in the world that there's just not that kind of space. And then it also, for a lot of people, that would be an extreme luxury. And it's interesting Absolutely. that people will place a piano in their home thinking that it gives them culture or adds warmth and nobody in the house knows how to play it. This is true. Absolutely. Amazing to me, by the way. It's, it's amazing. But <laughs> do you guys play? Anyone of you? I did when I was piano? young. I had to take piano lessons. Yeah, we had a see, little upright. See, why do we all have to take piano <laughs> yes. lessons? I did too, by the way, for a while. Yes. Um, I think I think people like the idea of the piano as something that you know connects us to something cultural, and um, I think so. Yeah. And, and and that's okay. And that, and that's okay. And that's. Uh, but to me, it was more of. Um, a place to play, place to grow sure. up. Yeah, my absolutely. my Western American self. Yeah. <laughs> you know, real quickly, our uh, son-in-law took a old, very. They bought a very old piano and they took it apart. And as he was pulling it apart, he ah. found all kinds of very inter- old coins, uh, little pieces of uh, old film pictures. That Amazing. and some of the stuff you knew that ch- children had either thrown it in there, there. Or tossed it in there, or in your case, hidden it in there. And the piano bench is. <laughs> <laughs> like a treasure chest for sure. See? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, know, people's psyches are so yeah, similar yeah, sometimes. Even, it is. Yeah, I, thought that, I, th- I thought that was very interesting, especially the way you related to the story. Mm-hmm. Your, yeah, yeah. your creative output is fascinating to see. This is a question I'm asking you. And you talk about the human individual and the points of contact between human self and not self. Yep. Can you shed yes. some light on that? That relates to a body of work that I did um, with body stamping, applying my body to uh, wooden boards and, and, and exploring the issue of skin. Look, I think generally humans 
put a lot of emphasis on skin mm-hmm. as the border of us, of who we are. So where does where does Rod start, where does Rod end? Probably at the perimeter of his skin. Where does NG end? You know, where her skin mm-hmm. ends. But in truth, inside of us, there are so many different organisms just living. Um, and outside of us, we we project our, our our sense. We receive our sensory. We project our senses outside of ourselves. And I think that if I could um, shake this concept a little bit and dislodge us a little bit from this thing that we call our ego, um, it, again, it would allow us to see things a little bit more clearly. Um, the you know see things. So there was a time when I did. A, a lot of actually, actually, I'm still doing it to a certain extent. But I had an exhibition a little while back where there was a lot of work, um, flesh boxes and things that where I, I I created on the wood levels of pigment, and then I um I I, I pressed down on the levels with uh, different parts of my body, and I created uh, shapes that you can tell that they're human. You can tell they're anthropomorphic, and but but you can't really tell. Um, how many humans in the painting where one starts and one begins, what part of the body you can't always tell, although you know that it's it's part of a human body. Trying um to 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 take apart a little bit this this very, very rigid feeling that we have where where our skin ends, we end, where the other skin of the other person starts is the other. Um, in truth, it's not that clear cut ourselves and the other, and um that's um part of what I um try to speak to. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. You, you know what most people don't realize or know actually that the, your skin is the largest organ of your body. It's people, true. It's they amazing. Know, yeah, they, they, it? Nobody mm-hmm. thinks of their skin as being an actual organ like the heart, kidneys, liver, mm-hmm. but it is. Mm-hmm. That's and true. It is, uh, it is so incredibly impactful on everything that goes on inside us as to yep. what bombards our skin on a daily basis. It's pretty amazing uh, to, and isn't I like, it, isn't it yeah. incredible? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like the way you, I like the way you describe your experience in using your body's skin. You know, we've had the opportunity to look at your website, which is quite excellent. Okay. By the way, we both think Thank it's you. wonderful. Um, Thank you. But also, I've noticed that you have created some performance art. Tell us about that. That's true. Well, the first time I did anything performative was when I was in residency at Griffin Gallery in London, 2017. And during the residency, I was given a lot of time to um, be, I was given a lot of leeway to be, to explore things and be creative. And I felt coming to a foreign country and being a guest that I had this urgent drive to host. I wanted to create a little bubble where I could also be the host, even though I was being hosted. So I, I, I built, I built a tent and, um, I did performance art with audiences of, of one, one-on-one. So one at a time, visitors to the gallery would enter the um, tent and I would give them my undivided attention, trying to intuit what they needed at that time, if they needed to be listened to or they needed to be talked to, or we did some nonverbal um, performative work with thread and some comforting um, wrapping action. And the idea was to create a meaningful meeting between two human beings, two people inside an area that's off limits. It's not the real world. It's another little space that's carved out. 
physically and mentally and legally where nothing that happens inside is, is talked about outside. And that was the first time I did performance art. So nice. So wonderful. You know, we're going to invite people to go to your site because then they can see things that you've done with the swans, what you've done with the white shirt, your Excellent. flesh okay. boxes, which in the flesh mm-hmm. box uh, with yeah, swan same. taxidermy. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, is going to be something that people are going to want to take a look at and try to understand. Yeah. yeah and we'll, we'll definitely be putting um, a links on our show guest tab so people can go check it out because it's really worth um, viewing it. And that way you will get an idea as maybe you're listening to the podcast, you'll be, have an idea of what Ayelette, um can is accomplishing as an artist and um, what we're discussing here yeah, today. Normally I would ask Yalette to explain the flesh boxes and the swan taxidermy, but you really have to see I think it. you have to see it. To yeah. understand it. So check out our website. It'll be, it's worth the trip. Yeah, definitely. And I know Thank that you. while we were talking about you as an artist and your life, I'm really curious if you could tell us about your creative environment, your studio. You know, nobody's actually, when, when <laughs> I am working in a former hen house. <laughs> oh, really? I've never actually said this out loud. Oh. I am working, yes, in what used to be an agricultural community. Israel used to be based mainly on agricultural settlements. But since it's been urbanized, this town has become... Um, it's, it, has, it still does have agriculture, but many older uh, structures that used to have animals in them are now being converted. We have some, you know, some studios and some storage space. So I rented what used to be a hen house. And if I think about it, first of all, there's, there's, there's a beauty inside the physical structure mm-hmm. from the inside, which actually shows up in some of my paintings. But the thought that it was a place where female creatures used to live, uh, you know, working very, very hard to make food for humans is a whole nother thought and maybe worth another little exhibition in the future. No so kidding. yeah, thank yes, you for bringing perhaps, that up. Perhaps. It's yeah. incubation, <laughs> incubation space for art now. It is. Exactly. You incubate exactly. <laughs> exactly. And a good question. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Can you remember, uh, <laughs> let the first piece of artwork that you created and did your family immediately recognize your talent? My family was very supportive of anything artistic I did, maybe quite naturally, maybe not. But I I can remember being very, very small and taking all the old cardboard boxes and toilet paper rolls, you know, and Mm -hmm. creating actually an installation. It had a little um, like pathway going through it and I used lots of scotch tape and it kept getting bigger and bigger as I added on boxes. And I think... Thinking back now, maybe that was the first experience I can remember of creating a composition, of making it all work and making it all uh, balance correctly in the eye. And yes, that was probably the first time I experienced creating a composition. Well, that would uh, demonstrate abstract thinking. Absolutely. Abstract thinking and your ability to put things together, construction and abstract thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hmm. true. I haven't thought about that in a long, long time. <laughs> we'll put it on your website so we can see it. <laughs> that would be you know cool. What? I wish, I wish I had a photo of that thing, but it was so many years ago. Yeah, well, we all wish we had yeah, those Yeah, that would be neat to see, though. <laughs> would be neat. 
Okay, so I am wondering what advice would you give to someone who wants to live more creatively? To live more creatively. Yeah. Okay, I know. I would say make a space. Make a space, uh, a time space or a physical space. Make a space for it in your life, even if it's a very little space, even if it's somewhere in the kitchen or in the yard. Once you make a space, um, in your schedule and in your house or in your wherever, whatever physical area you're, you occupy, yeah. then you've made a commitment and it's there. And even if you have an hour here, an hour there, you can go to that space. But the space is a good way to start. That's, Perfect. you know, I love it because that's like making room. Like if you wanted to attract love in your life, you would make room for that. So you're attracting uh-huh. the love for creativity. That is so nice. I think Angie's that- got our very special question and I'm anxious to hear what you okay. have to say. About All right. this. The very, oh my God. Our very, very special, special question. question. <laughs> okay. This, this is a question we've been asking all of our guests and their answers are always so fascinating. But if you could okay. sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Well, <clears throat> he's definitely creative. Uh, not not a not a fine artist, but ref- I think it would be. Um, I think I would say David Bowie. Oh, okay. I think I would say Bowie because, besides being so 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 creative, I imagine I, I I've he he wrote a soundtrack to my early life. So I feel emotionally very close, but also I feel like he would be gracious and kind and down to earth. I'm very curious to see, um, the real him and, um, yeah. What a great answer. Yeah. What a great yep. answer. And uh, those of us who know of him and know his, accompl- his accomplishments, uh, what mm-hmm. you just stated makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I would have never thought that in a million years. No, no, not me either. But such a a cool guy and a a nice person. Cool guy, right? You think he'd be real and not too full of himself, even though he was such, such, such a superstar. I think he would be a good person to meet on the bench. Mm -hmm. True, true. I hate to uh, wind this up. I know. (laughs) <laughs> it was such a good conversation. Such a good interview. I hate wind to leave it. it. Wind it. Yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you both. Really, your wow. your your chemistry together is also so good. I mean, oh well, thank you. I can tell you uh, seamlessly. Well, seamlessly are creative together. Well, you've <laughs> been you. a great guest, and you actually bring out thank creativity. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Angie. I think I think you bring out creativity in other people just by so. seeing what you do, <laughs> how you live, and more importantly, how you think. I think the way you think about creativity is very interesting, and your life's journey has been uh, pretty amazing. So true, and I, I agree with Rod. And I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this interview. And of course, well, thank I, you. You're welcome. And I also want to let everyone know, if you want to know more about Ayelet, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her. And please connect with her on social media and check out our website. Thank you, Ayelet, for being with us today. Yes, thank you so much. It was really my pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Okay, well, bye for now. I know we'll be chatting again. Take care. Bye. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. 
We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.